0: All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of The Compliance Guy. Thank you all who are joining us live and to those who are catching the playback of this episode. Don't forget, you can also download our podcast on Apple, Amazon, Google, RSS, and more than 80, not 20, but 80 podcast platforms. I feel so special when I say 80 podcast platforms. That's a huge
1: platforms. number.
0: <laughs> so. The voice you hear in the background is my very special guest, and the lady you're seeing, I'm so excited to introduce you to uh, to her, because today's a really special day. Uh, For the simple reason that I get to interview someone I have truly come to admire, both as a professional and as a person. This lady is an incredible business professional who's disrupting the healthcare space and making an impact, and, and, and I don't use the words disruptive and impact lightly when I talk about this lady. She's engaged with numerous boards and charities and is also involved in quite a few philanthropic endeavors. So I want to welcome to the compliance guy, Jean-Marie Loria.
1: Thank you, Sean. That's so sweet. <laughs> it's really you, incredible. You,
0: Thank you. You were just smiling. I was waiting for you to say, hey. Thanks Sean. I was waiting for like, to please. Please, please, stop. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so so let me, let me talk a little bit about Jean Marie as if I didn't do it enough already. Um, <laughs> because even though I think everybody um, in healthcare probably knows who this lady is, there are a few who unfortunately don't. But you will after this program. Um, Jean-Marie is the managing director at Advise Health. Uh, Really, that's a humble way of saying she's the CEO. Uh, Jean-Marie holds uh, an MBA with a concentration in finance. Um, She's a Six Sigma or, yeah, Six Sigma Greenbelt and holds certifications as a project management professional and conflict resolution mediator. Now, I know Jean-Marie as a professional with a relentless appetite for expanding her knowledge base and driving results. So <clears throat> if you'll humor me, just for a minute, because I know you have to humor somebody else on a regular basis. And, and while this is your show, <laughs> um, I don't know that we're going to be able to make it all the way through without at least... <laughs> this 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 chucklehead's name coming up so i
1: was gonna say thank god my bio wasn't like one i heard last week at a conference i was like what does your bio ever stop we need to rewrite that
0: i know some of these bios man like by the time you're done reading it 45 minutes of the podcast is gone already uh you know i i had um i had ron ronald chapman Uh, the second from uh, the Chapman Law Group on the podcast uh, a couple of times. And, you know, I got to, you know, prior to the show, I got to looking at him. And I was like, God, he reminds me of this celebrity. And I just couldn't figure out who. And as I was doing the introduction, um, it popped into my head. And I actually introduced him as Zac Efron. (laughs) And I said, I want to welcome my very special guest, Zac Efron. And I was like, "Oh my God, Ronald Chapman Jr.!" <laughs> I mean, Ronald Chapman the second. I was so flustered by it, um, <laughs> and and he just kind of laughed, and I could see him turning red. And he he just, you know, we had a good chuckle over that. And afterwards, he was like, "Really, Zach Efron?" I was like, "Listen,
1: could be worse.
0: It could be. A, I could have said Sean Weiss, and and then you could have really been upset." But here's what I want to do. I want to try and summarize who you are for our viewers and for those who are listening to us on the podcast. And you tell me whether or not I nailed it or if the train jumped the tracks. You got it. Because I'm notorious for jumping the tracks. And I have three things that I want to summarize you as from a professional standpoint. One what I know of you is that you're focused you're focused on quality and driving client ROI, first and foremost, more than anything else. Second, you're a streamliner. You streamline operations to help clients improve their retention, uh, to stabilize their revenue streams and to even help drive their revenue forward. And third, and I think to me, this is the most important one. You're a visionary. You're a trend, you're, you know, you're a trendsetter and, 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 dare I say, an influencer. Now, we're not here to sell advised t-shirts and we're not here to sell Louis Vuitton purses. But when I say influencer, <clears throat> I'm talking about the influence that you have on other healthcare professionals in the market space on your clients, on your employees. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on my podcast today and and why I think it's so important is we continue to navigate our way through a public health emergency, which to me, I think it's more of a crisis than anything. Um, We're a divided country even more now than we have been, I think, in the past. We are being influenced in a way that is frightening because information that's being pushed out there um, is oftentimes misleading. It's leading to individuals who may already be a little bit unstable um, acting out in a way that maybe had they not been triggered they wouldn't have. Um, Obviously, you know, my show is not a political, you know, uh, driven show. It's not a a, a political rant. I don't do that. But as a 48-year-old man who has been in this industry for 26 years, when I read stories about healthcare frontline workers, nurses, physicians, others, Who are now fearing for their lives just by going to the food store in their scrubs to the point where they're actually having to change their clothes before they go to a food store? Um, There was an article that a very good friend of mine, um, and I think a mutual friend of ours, uh, actually sent me today about Northern Idaho. And their hospital workers being threatened and being attacked in the food store of all places. We're talking about physicians, nurses, people who are working to stabilize the sick, working to return people to an optimal level of health, people who are standing at bedside. Because the hospitals are on lockdown and they're at code Reds, which means doesn't matter the status of the patient. no families allowed into the hospital in a lot of these cities in counties and in certain states as a whole and they're the ones that are singing to these people they're giving them their ice chips they're holding their hands as they struggle to take their next breath and it's frightening that our healthcare workers who are risking their own health, their own safety, their lives, are now being looked at in a way as their public enemy number one. So, you know, when I talk about, you know, the importance of having somebody like you on the show and speaking to young women and young men, Who are looking for an opportunity to move into the, or transition into the healthcare space. I look at somebody like you and I say, you're a trendsetter. You're an influencer. What would you say to young women aspiring to reach a level of success that You're at to help them realize that transitioning into healthcare, irrespective of what you're hearing and what you're seeing, is still one of the best, most rewarding industries to participate in.
1: That's a great question, Sean. Uh, when I was growing up, my mom wanted me to go into medicine. So my mom was a nurse. She was like you have to go into medicine. And I said I hate the body. I cannot do that. So I chose IT and finance and then woke up one day and I was in healthcare and said, "Well, I was I was studying for my CPC exam. I was having to learn like really learn parts of the body and I remember saying, I'll just skip that section because I can't deal with that. Like that's disgusting. No thank you." Uh, but I woke up and I was in healthcare and what intrigued me then and still intrigues me now is the fact that things are happening. So to your point, things are happening that are huge in this industry and there's not enough thought in in terms of the business side of it. And that's really what I look at every single day on my way here to New Jersey this morning, I was reading entrepreneur magazine. I think it was uh, maybe a magazine from two months ago or three months ago, it was talking about young entrepreneurs. And every single uh, article that I read about these different young entrepreneurs, all under um, age of 30, was that they were thinking about mental health and how people feel in the workplace. And then towards the back of the magazine, was this section on franchising opportunities. And I read about real estate and finance and the big four were in there and just a different franchise and nothing was healthcare related at all, not at all. And I thought that was interesting because I thought I would see something like ENT allergy or something like the big franchises that we know, even um, dental, but nothing. And there is this lack of understanding of like where you can get into healthcare and what that looks like, even healthcare consulting. So I knew early on, I loved consulting and I wanted to be in consulting. When I started here and started working with some of my payer clients, I said, well, Hey, if we're doing this audit of a doctor and it's a bad doctor, let's just throw them out of the network. And they were like, no. And then I got into the whole conversation about, okay, who pays what in healthcare, why does it matter? So when you're talking about our nurses and our doctors and all the healthcare workers, how do we have such a disconnect where they're being treated this way and they're giving their lives to this cause and yet you see the business side of healthcare doing really well because you look at certain businesses that posted ridiculous profits last year when we had people dying. Where else are we going to see that that isn't really called into question? It's a shame. Those are the kinds of things that I talk about with my friends. So, yeah. what I would say to younger people is if you want to get into an area that is truly underserved, it is healthcare. And it's underserved in terms of the Uber. I have not yet seen a healthcare Uber that comes in and just dominates. And I will tell you, every day I sit down with my team, like, how do we break it? We don't want to, like, just fix fraud and bring it down by 1%, like you hear other companies saying. Sure. We really want to say, like, can we break anything? Can we help people understand, like, this is a really broken system with a lot of opportunities. Get on board. Let's do something together.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and I think you raise great points. You know, the I think the biggest problem that we have in healthcare and why our system is so dysfunctional, I mean, there's a number of reasons. But I blame the special interest groups. I blame the lobbyists because they are lobbying for a bottom line. They're not lobbying what's best for you or for me. They're not lobbying on behalf of a physician. The biggest lobbyists in special interest gr- groups on Capitol Hill are those of the pharmaceutical companies and those from the insurance companies, followed by you know the hospital associations and some of the others? And I'm not beating up on them. they're they're smart enough to invest in the lobbyists. They're smart enough to find their way into you know the the congressional caucuses and to be able to influence with you know their dollars and their marketing campaigns. and whatever else it is. And this is where I think, you know, somebody like yourself can be so influential and, you know, uh, let me stay and on let
1: that. me Let me say to you, Sean. Please. So when you said uh, about being successful, I don't think I'm successful at all because I've done nothing to reduce the cost of healthcare. It drives me insane every single day. What I do. Yes. It feels good when we find money. It feels good when we do education and help providers. We help payers. It's wonderful. But I will say, I don't feel anything has been done yet. So to bring up the name that you mentioned, Eric Rubenstein, obviously my person, my partner in life. I, I
0: never I never mentioned him by name.
1: I had to, I had to. Uh, so what I'll <laughs> say is when I met him and he was still working for the OIG at that time, I got to ask him all the questions that I wanted to. Like, how do you get these audits done? How are you stopping the doctors? And I will tell you that the same pain points come up in conversation for us every single day over Dinner to the point where he's like, I've heard this enough. We've been over how many ideas do you have? And still to this day, I'm like, let's talk about it. Maybe there's one other idea maybe we can do. And I rant and rave in my blogs and on LinkedIn, but we're not getting closer. I'm not seeing us move the needle. There are great people like Jared Walker who's moving the needle. I'm so proud of that guy. What
0: an incredible guy. (laughs) And you know what? I am so blessed. He's coming on my podcast. I am so excited (laughs) when people learn about jared walker and dollar four and the incredible work that he has done in such a short period of time and the and and, and the incredible attention that he's bringing to people who are suffering trying to pay their everyday bills and keep a roof over their head and food on their tables but they're having to make a decision between whether or not they pay their debts for rent. healthcare.
1: Can I even they're, pay rent or can, can I, I pay, pay a minimum payment? I mean we're talking real life stuff. This is real
0: life and 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 he is an everyday hero. But I want to disagree with you. And and I'm and I'm not I'm not one of these people that likes to disagree. You know, I, I I'm you're all about conflict resolution. So we're going to have to resolve our conflict.
1: You're a lover not a fighter, tell me. <laughs>
0: As I get older. Yeah. As I have more grandkids, I I get a little bit softer. I do. I I have five of them. And can I just tell you last night, I got to see my my little one-year-old grandson. My wife and I uh, were asked to babysit him while my son and daughter-in-law went and celebrated their anniversary, their wedding anniversary. And when I called my wife, uh, my picture pops up on the phone. And my grandson, I hear him in the background going, Papa, Papa, Papa. And it, it, it's just one of those things where I'm like, no matter how crappy my day was, it just all was better. But anyways, I want to get back to talking about you because this show is about you. I want to disagree with you. When you um, say that you don't think that you've been successful, I think you've been ridiculously successful. And, and here's why I say that. You came from KPMG, right? One of the big consultancies out there. Big, right? Not exaggerating. Huge. As you guys say in New, in New Jersey, huge. Right? So you, you weren't just a busy bee. You were a mover and a shaker. You had a senior level position with KP- within KPMG. And you looked at whatever it was that you were doing, and you made a conscious decision to say, I can do more. I can do better. And I can achieve things doing it my way that I'm not able to achieve under the thumb of somebody else. And you set out. And you are a woman certified business owner, right?
1: That's right.
0: That's huge. <laughs> Thank you. Or as we say down here in the South, you done did it, girl. <clears throat> so, but let's, let's, so I disagree with you that you haven't been successful. Now, I think we measure success. In a variety of ways, and I think one of the things that maybe when you look at it and you say I could be more successful if I was able to influence just one aspect of healthcare that drove the costs of rendering that care down. Fair?
1: That's correct. That's absolutely okay. correct.
0: So, so don't <laughs> discredit yourself. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to help young men and women who are trying to figure out, honestly, you know, do I, I have a CPC. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that CPC means something to them as it should, because you studied, you retained, you prepared, you took a test. It's a very hard test. It's a very hard test. When I took that test back in 1997, I will tell you at the time that I took it, it was the hardest test that I've ever taken. Of anything that I ever did in college and in my early professional life, it was ridiculous. Now the 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 test has changed over the years to accommodate, you know, uh, uh, newer many generations. Things. Right, many, many things, things. right? <laughs> right. But I will tell you, you know, for me, just like you, you know, you, you continuously educate yourself right? You're always reading, learning, pushing the envelope. Me, you know, it's all about education for me. And, 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 and this isn't about, hey, you know, I read and, and, and educate. But the truth is we work in an industry that the landscape changes by the hour. And if you're not keeping up with this stuff, if you're not aware of the trends, you get left behind. And I think that's what's happened in a lot of cases of some of these these large integrated delivery health systems, some of these durable medical equipment companies, physicians. I love physicians. I'm a physician advocate, right? And I will go to the end of the scorched earth to protect a physician. But sometimes some physicians just can't get out of their own way. But, you know, so... Talk about, because I I I want other people to understand that, you know, it's nice to have a cushy job, right? It's nice to make 50, 60, 80, 100,000 a year, whatever it is. You obviously were in a position of leadership at a huge consultancy, KPMG. But yet you made a decision, and this is the point I want other young professionals and individuals aspiring to become more than even what they believe they can i want them to hear what made jean marie loria say i'm doing this
1: that's so sweet thank you uh, i like the idea of catching the bad guys so when i got into this business it was all about catching the bad guys and i said you know that sounds really cool to me because for me i've never been driven by money I really have thought more about what can I do to help people, what can I do? And I know that like I'm I'm good at something. So I'm good at doing membership. If I join a board or a committee, I'll do membership because I'll talk to people. I'll say, hey, do you like it? Don't you like it? What can we do better? I do fundraising. I'll go in and say, like, hey, I gotta ask for a check. But if it comes to individual care, I'm not the person, right? Like I'm never gonna be able to help somebody and be like, oh, let me help you with I can't, but I could go raise money to help a hundred people. And I think that that's one of my strengths. So I started um, looking at the fraud, waste, and abuse in healthcare. I was very, very interested in how do I make this better. When I was at KPMG, I used to do IT audit of hospitals. And I would always look at charge master, And I said, well, that's interesting. Like, I always knew that was a control I had to test, but I couldn't really understand. And when this opportunity came up, I really love that. I remember going to my dad saying, Hey, you know how, when you were a cop, you put bad guys, I'm going to do this for a white collar. How cool is that? That's very, very interesting. But as I got into it more and more, I realized it wasn't just that there were so many areas that could be discussed more and worked on more. Um, what helped me was I've been fortunate to have some tremendous mentors in the healthcare space. So some companies that could seem like advisors competition, uh, there have been people within those companies that have mentored me. I've been so very, very fortunate to work with them. I've worked with some great people at CMS, and I've been lucky to be able to ask real questions and, and get to the point of like, okay, yeah, we should be moving in that direction. Strategically, this is what we should be doing. So I think that's one thing that could help young people when they're looking to try to transition. For me with my CPC, so I always hired uh, lots of certified professional coders with my company. I would listen and ask them like, what do you really want to do with this? Do you really want to sit at your laptop for 40, 50 hours a week and and do code? Do you want to educate? Because some people are way more into education, sitting down with providers and educating. Do you want to audit? Do you want to do coding, billing? What do you want to do? You know, I think it's important to think about that. And then I've had um, some of my employees before too want to have their own companies. I would help them. I would get them magazines that I thought were helpful and inspiring. I'd always say, if you have a question, they don't make the same mistakes I've made. I'm always available to talk. So I think it's important to collaborate in the awesome.
0: space. So, you know, I, and I forgot to say this at the very beginning and I'm so sorry. Folks, the chat is live and um, apparently I didn't have to say it because people are blowing up the chat. And I got to tell you, it's all because of you. It's great. Like, did you pay people prior to the show? Did you like <laughs> offer people like, like I, I do? I do this podcast and yeah, you know, look, I, I get a lot of comments and I get questions and stuff like that from people. And, you know, there's a handful here and there. I mean, I think we got like 20 comments from people blowing it up. And I like when we do it. when we do, you know, the chuckleheads, um, you know, maybe we get a comment. And it's usually, can somebody please mute Eric Rubenstein?
1: (laughs) Trust me, it's impossible. I know from experience. I think because we're talking about real things here, Sean. So the thing is, you know, when I was getting my MBA, I was told in school that my accent would never get me anywhere. I would hit the glass ceiling. I sounded like the nanny. I've tried hard to dial it back. I work on my R's. I try really hard to say my R's properly. Coffee stole an area of issue for me. But I like to talk about real things. When I talk to my clients, I don't change my tune. I go in and I work with payers and I'm like, Can we talk about why things are expensive? When I work yeah. with hospitals, I talk about can we talk about why things are so expensive? How yeah. do we get people to not pay as much? So I think, Sean, us talking about where the real cost is. Right. Is the thing. I see. Absolutely.
0: Question. So look, you know, this is Christopher Jones and, and, and I it's it's a question, but it's really a statement, right? when are the health insurance companies going to recognize the needs of chronic medical patients and vocational services? I mean, you know, look, preventative medicine, obviously, with CMS has become a significant focus, because I think they've realized that, you know, in an aging population, especially coming into the baby boomers, it's going to be more cost effective for us to preempt a disease and to be able to get them early care and early, you know, intervention, rather than sitting back and waiting for these diseases to manifest, you know, for their, for their diabetes to become so out of control that they now become blind. Do you know that the number one leading cause of blindness in the United States is due to diabetes?
1: I did not know that.
0: That is the leading cause. You know where I learned that? Where? Last night on a commercial. <laughs> but it's the truth because. So, I,
1: how, how soon are we going to, though, see it happen? Because I see HEDIS. I see great money coming back from different that's things. Right. But you can create documentation like, hey, patient, I just talked to you about what you're eating. And then that's done. Good, excellent. We're done with that. Is that really helping?
0: No, but let me tell you where I think it needs to change. I think the biggest change needs to come from the payers in how they. Um, how they process claims and how they adjudicate claims. We, we have always been a pay and chase model, right? Mm-hmm. We are the only industry that I know of that you can render a service without anybody ever having to review the first piece of documentation to
1: So plainly speaking, I go get my nails done. I don't know what price it is. I get hit with a thousand dollar French. And I'm like, wait a second, how did this happen? I I say this all the time. And, but I will say to you, I notice how you live with the payer there. What I'll say is someone told me this years ago, a good friend of mine. He said to me, you're a peripheral. Your company is a peripheral. I said, what do you mean? We're helping keep the costs down. Like, what are you talking about? And he said to me, you have a person getting sick and you have someone that's treating them. Anyone else is a peripheral. There's price transparency. There's this, there's that. But at the end of the day, unless we're truly helping that interaction better, we're all adding fluff <clears throat> to it. All
0: of us. I, I agree with you. So h- here we go, right? Jordan, um, wh- wh- one of the people, and, and I mean this, buddy. And I hope you know this. It, it, this guy has become one of my closest friends. Jean Marie and I were talking about this before the start of the show. And, you know, a lot of people were like, God, you, you know, you Jordan and Eric, you guys just have like the best chemistry. You know, how long have you guys been together? And when I tell people that, you know, we started our online relationship. <laughs> um You, you know, swipe the right way, didn't you? Yeah, I swiped the right way. Um you know, we started about a year ago, but in all sincerity, it's really the last six months that Eric and Jordan um, and I have just broken through and we have become we have become a wolf pack, as Jordan just said. But the truth is. um it's not just that we have this chemistry and that we click. It's that we're like-minded. We want to see an you, end. You def-
1: need, and what's interesting, Sean, is that I think of you as provider. I think of Eric as like government, came from this big government background. We have Jordan with all this advocacy and really doing it. And what's so interesting to me is that you all are so like-minded. You're really about delivering yeah. good health care. In, in the business side which yeah. is crazy it's not like you're out there practicing every day like right. you're doing the behind the scenes but like-minded in terms of ethics and not making money off of the problem
0: yeah i mean we we do we do what we do for advocacy i don't monetize my podcast i don't monetize anything that we do i do this for advocacy and for awareness and i know that's eric and jordan but you know you you mentioned price transparency and it was at you know it was so timely because Jordan had just posted something with price transparency we can now see where the dollars have gone and go I agree okay that's the the basis of it that's the theory behind price transparency but here's the problem the insurance companies were just granted a 6 month extension in January of 2022 now to june or july of 2022 meaning you know they had their lobby Here, here's what i don't understand and this is where i get really loud and passionate and i'm sorry because i'm usually pretty Do reserved
1: tell. Do tell.
0: this is where i get angry why are we delaying something that ultimately benefits the consumer why that's the answer that i want I want because hearings. it
1: can. So I think that the simple answer, Sean, is because it can. It's not like, oh, I'm not going to get sick tomorrow because I'm waiting on this contract. You know, like any other, any other consumable, right? I'm not going to get gas from this gas station because they didn't uphold their end of it. Right. Unfortunately, we'll always have the need. The system will continue to go on. And also, Transparency is exciting, but is transparency really going to get us to where we want to be? I love Southwest transparency. They always yeah. put out transparency, but do I know why during the en- end of the pandemic, Well, we're still in it, but uh, like a couple right. months ago, I'm flying somewhere for 30 bucks versus now 120 same flight oh, yeah. transparency. I don't know why are they giving me a breakdown of the cost analysis? So again, like the transparency is interesting. I'm excited for it, but is that really gonna move the needle for
0: us? Right, you know, this is interesting. This is from Pam Vanderbilt and 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 I agree with her. You know, as much as it pains me to say it, I feel moving insurance back to an agreement between the patient and the carrier instead of the provider and the carrier would help drive healthcare costs down. Not only would it drive healthcare costs down, uh, Pam, and thanks for, um, thanks for posting that. I, I think, and tell me what you think about this. Not only would it drive the cost of healthcare down, I think it would improve the physician-patient relationship. I think physicians would be less inclined to sit and stare at a computer screen and click keys on a mouse pad and would once again sit or stand face-to-face with a patient and engage with them. That's where I think re-engaging or transitioning the way health insurance works to it being a conversation between the patient, you know what i tell you know what I tell providers all the time when they get denied for a claim where it's listed as not medically necessary or reasonable and appropriate. you know what I say what Call the patient and tell the patient that the insurance company who's charging you $700, $800 for a family $2,500 a month, you have a $5,000 deductible, you have ridiculous co-pays, give them a call and have them explain to you as the patient why now they've determined that something I, as your treating physician, that I've determined was medically reasonable, appropriate, and necessary based upon my clinical judgment, my 15 years of studying to be a doctor, my 25 years in practice. Have them explain to you why they don't want to pay the claim. And you know what always happens? The insurance company backtracks because they don't want to tick off their beneficiaries. They don't want that press. And you know what they always say? Oh, that was a glitch in our system. We can, we're can, we going to go ahead and, and, and adjudicate that claim for you.
1: I'll give you the other side of it. So I appreciate what you're saying. But after you only look at bad providers constantly, it makes you say, well, this is a flag. You know, this provider is sending people to this a lot. And I'm not going to say that all the time. It's just interesting because you have one side saying one thing. Because I talk to, we have clients at Advice Health. We have advisory and audit. We're doing payer and provider. And people always say to me, well, which side are you helping? And I always say, we're sitting on the fence with CMS. There's right and there's wrong Period." And I hear from my payer clients all the time, like we're just trying to do the right thing. We're trying our hardest to do the right thing. And I get it and I understand, I hear it, but then you watch the money around it and you watch where it's broken and you see providers being challenged on things or if they're an important provider just being allowed to do whatever. It's incredible to look, but I think the issue is, and I've been seeing this come through with the chat, it's quality of care versus... The financial piece right. and unfortunately we're in and healthcare is an economy that's fat and happy and until something really comes in like an uber to be like the thing that breaks it we're still going to continue i mean we're, we're lucky if we can do sean like your side with just completely all compliance and and working with trying to get a clean paid versus the like we need flags we need to do this we need to do that Still, we're not talking about how do we get that patient to live another year or fight the diabetes. Like, we're not talking about that.
0: No, we're not. Because we're not focused on patient care. We're focused on the business of medicine. And, you know, what I tell people all the time about this show is we are, you know, we are, this show for me is where the business of medicine and health law intersect, right? That's what this show is. and. I love when I get the opportunity to slide out of having to talk about fraud, waste, and abuse, and I get the opportunity to talk about value versus cost versus outcomes. I love when we have these conversations because they're real. They're tangible conversations that need to be had. But the problem is we need to be able to have these conversations at a level beyond a podcast. We need. I have a a congressman who's going to be coming on the show here very shortly, Um, and You know, I thought about mentioning his name just now to to put the pressure on to make him come on to have it uh, sooner, but uh, he's already committed. And, you know, I want to have these conversations with people in both the upper and lower chamber. And I want them to explain to the American people why administration after administration, irrespective of whether it's. Democrats in control, Republicans in control, or a split, okay? Because during the last administration, he had both the House and the Senate, as well as the White House. Now, during this administration, they have the House, the Senate, and the, uh, um, the yeah, the, the House, the, the Congress, and the Senate. Why is healthcare the one thing that eludes Congress? Why? That's the answer that I want. That's the answer that I think we as American people as consumers of healthcare services as professionals deserve. We're smart. Don't tell us we won't understand it. Don't tell us that the math is too complex. We <laughs> I'll hold that comment. But
1: you're right, because it could get into politics there. But at the end right. of the day, until and I think what we'll see is as we have younger generations coming up in healthcare, back in the day, people would stay in a job because they had insurance. And now you see all of that changing within companies and people. And then you see young folks saying, like, I don't need insurance. Like whatever, I'll see what happens, I'll out of pocket it and whatever. We're gonna see <clears throat> dynamics push yep. on the whole system just by way of younger people coming in.
0: You know, this podcast and I love the direction that we've gone. I really do. And and for those of you that don't for those of you that didn't realize how cool Jean Marie is, <laughs> I think you are now. Seriously. And and you know, I mean, honestly, this is this is why I do this podcast, because I get to interview, and I get to learn from, and I get to see the perspective of leaders, of disruptors in our in our space, and I hope after this podcast, whether we had five viewers or we had 500 viewers, I hope people find us on the podcast, I hope they watch this, because... When you listen to a podcast, I don't know that you can always see how passionate the guests are, and I don't know that you can always see that we're genuinely having a really good time talking about debating on critical issues and getting to see the interaction of you know the 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 gallery, the folks that are seeing us right now. So, you know, but the purpose of this podcast was really to talk about Jean Marie, to talk about how you got to where you are. But I'm so grateful. But you I, know I want to. Sean, there's yeah. one
1: other thing I'll tell you, which is very funny and timely right now. I Please. can't consume enough about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. It's not just because I'm jumping on the bandwagon of everybody now. I kept her magazines, as I mentioned. I love my fortune, I love my entrepreneur. I kept those magazines in my office years ago when she was so big and the big female entrepreneur was really making it and this leader. And I sat with my team and I said, look at how she's revolutionizing healthcare. How do we do this? How do we help people adjudicate their own claim so that it's not even a part of like any of this situation? How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we do this? And and all of the fame and fortune that came to Theranos and Bill Clinton saying like this is the future of healthcare and all right. of that. For it to be an unethical sham and scam and scheme. And this is what we see constantly in healthcare. And so why is it, Sean, that you're on a podcast that puts out great information and you're not getting the platform that an Elizabeth Holmes with lies would get? Why is that?
0: I don't know. You know, maybe maybe one day somebody who can influence uh this podcast going forward further we'll hear it and they'll say you know um if we if we just hear his voice and we don't have to see him man we could probably do good things with this guy i don't know maybe we'll see but you know i want to ask you this question because obviously you know you're a really intelligent woman and you're 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 doing incredible things as i said But let me ask you this question. What drives you in business and what drives you in your personal life? Are you able to segregate those? Because I I, I think that's so important, right? Because any successful person, man or woman, are you able to differentiate between those?
1: Great question, Joanne. Great question. So I'll tell you, when I was getting my MBA and getting ready to interview with all the big companies, the answer to that that I learned as a student was fear of failure. And I used uh... to just say it and I didn't mean it. Uh, once I bought my company and had people on payroll, that really became the real answer. So early on in the advised years, I was worried every single day about payroll. But that wouldn't be enough to get me up out of bed after like three hours of uh, sleep a night, every night, every night, every night. So that's really not it. It's the fact that I always want to do a little bit better. If there's any way to be more efficient or effective at something, I want to. And I can't turn it off. So I don't stop talking about healthcare when I close my laptop. That's when I really start talking about it. So throughout the day, it's clients, it's employees. But then as soon as I close the laptop, it's how do we think beyond just doing this you know in the shower i'm coming up with ideas of like oh i need to talk to this person about this maybe i could go meet with cms about that maybe no. this payer if i call blue cross blue, maybe they'll talk about this or whatever so i'm always thinking
0: you know you, you said something that I, I actually learned as well in the first part of college when I was taking um, my Business 101 class, my very first one, Business 101. And it was with uh, um, uh, an old IBM executive who transitioned out and really great guy. And one of my favorite quotes on uh, fear of failure is success is the ability to go from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. That's, that's my favorite quote of all time when it comes to fear of failure. And I'll say it one more time. Success is the ability to go from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. To me, that, that, that kind of summarizes it all.
1: You know what? Bruce Springsteen, the river. It was the very end. He was about to fail. So how Jersey is that? But, you know, it came out with the river anyway. I look at it as um, with advice. I was $400,000, absolutely in debt. I had two mortgages on my house, zero money left. I owed everybody I knew money and I got made a job offer. That was a huge job offer. I would have been able to do all personal loans in about one, two years of salary. And I walked away from it. And the person said to me, why would you do that? It's in healthcare. You'd be working on the same stuff. You'd have the same clients and all that. And I said, I really believe in what we're doing. And I'm lucky enough at Advise, our CIO, our consortia has been with me from the beginning. And we've talked about, we would rather people not know our names and do something that's important than have our name on a building or have all the money in the world. So I'm lucky enough to have a team that really believes in that mission. That's why I didn't leave. And I said, like, you know, I think that I could get out of this hole. I hope, like, you know, I hope I could pay everything off, but I have to go see my team do this and do it with them.
0: And you've been climbing out of that hole or are you out of that hole?
1: We're completely out of that hole. And it feels wonderful. We're in the sun for the last few years like this.
0: (laughs) So, so once again, this is why I refuted your earlier statement of, I'm not successful. Are you kidding me? Four hundred thousand dollars in debt and you you rolled up your sleeves and you clawed your way through what you wanted to achieve, and you didn't let the fear of failure hold you back all right so i wanna um i wanna i wanna transition for a minute because you're involved in a lot of charities, and you were written up. Uh, A lot of folks may not know this, but you were written up in a well-respected magazine not too long ago. Uh, I think you were on the cover of that magazine, and I think you were with your mother. Is that, (laughs) am I right?
1: Tampa Magazine. Yeah,
0: you (laughs) were. Thank you,
1: John. Thank you. You're such an investigator.
0: You you are? Well, I mean, you know, I'd look pretty foolish if I had a show, and you were like, oh, I was written up in a magazine. And I'm like, oh, really? That would be so terrible, wouldn't it? So talk, can you quickly talk a little bit, because I want to talk about the charities and I want to talk about your philanthropy um, and, and the things that you're doing. And I also want to talk about your engagement on the board of directors for the companies that you sit on. But talk a little bit about this write-up, because it actually was really, um, it, was, it was a touching article um, and it was really kind of cool. So will you, will you quickly tell our, our viewers and listeners about that?
1: That's so sweet. It's um, a magazine that features different um, components of life and work, and it talks to entrepreneurs about how they're doing and whatever. I- I was just writing that article, they were asking me all about how do you manage family and what do you do? And for me, it's a matter of being true to your word to everybody. So it happens with employees, it happens with clients, and it happens at home. And the picture of my mother and me, it's us going to a meeting, she drives me to a meeting, then afterwards I take her to dinner and tell her all about it. And I've always been lucky enough to manage uh, work and life that way. So to your point about it being a separation of who I am at work versus not. So to that point, talking with all my friends, Maggie, who is my marketing, amazing internal way up to she's been promoted so many times. I'm proud of her in her current role. She sends me this TikTok video and, you know, I'm too old to be on TikTok. So she sends me this video. I see it and I'm like, oh, this guy's talking about how to fight a hospital bill. He'll do it. So. You know, being in healthcare for so long now, I'm like, eh, you know, I'm a little skeptical. How does he really do it? What does he do? So I got on my computer immediately and I said, hey, I need to talk to you. I need to understand how you do this. I see that you're written up in Time Magazine. This, so this is Jared Walker, Dollar for Jared but Walker. Like, I see that you're in Time Magazine. I see the dollar. How did you crush $5 million of medical debt? What does that actually look like? And he said yes let's have a call and jared is a phenomenal guy so we get on this call and i said i have to do something with you i don't know what it looks like but please use me do you need to talk to my team can we support what could we do and immediately i joined that board and i'm so excited to be on that board because the work that dollar four does every day is impactful and so a lot of my friends want to be on for-profit boards, that's everybody's holy grail. I want to be on a for-profit board. I'll get paid five grand just for showing up, blah, blah, blah. When I think about what I want to do, I want to be on nonprofit boards where I might be able to provide just a little bit of value. And it being in the healthcare space, I'm so excited because I'm able to sit there with people who are into the mission and really doing things to say, I've seen it happen like this. How do we address that? Here's a right. risk. How can I give up my time, my effort? So I did a birthday telethon where we just called. I had my friends get on um, basically mute and do share screen where we were calling our friends and dialing for dollars and saying, would you make a donation to 4 And we raised $12,000 in one hour, a little wow. bit less than one hour. and. I would just love that I have people in my network who get it. So with people who are in our space, I never have to explain what dollar Four really does or the value of it. I just say, Hey, crushing medical bills. And here for every $1 that's donated $50 of medical debt is crushed. And my friends are like, got it. Let me write a check. So I'm lucky to bring my network to a nonprofit that matters like that.
0: Well, and I mean this with the utmost sincerity, Tell me what I need to do to help get involved with Dollar Four. Tell me what I need to do to help um, um, push their uh, mission forward and their vision. Uh, Jared, I'm not sure if you're listening to this or if you're going to, because I know you're a big fan of G. G Marie. Um, If you're listening out there, buddy, give me a shout and let me know whatever it is that I can do to help. you got my full support.
1: Tell you, Sean, it's not just about helping people and they take the help. We also give an opportunity with Dollar Four to allow people who've received help to donate back. And the whole point of why I love Dollar Four. So I tried to think about how can we help people with medical bills, whether it's doing the audits or whatever, but help them not have to pay bad bills. Sure. The people should not pay for that service. They're already being charged something that's incorrect. There's already a burden on them. What Dollar Four does is it helps people without charging them. But they give up the opportunity. So what Dollar Four does is give the opportunity for somebody to donate after that. Like, oh, I just had this... X amount, $1,000 bill crushed, I want to donate $5 a month and say to the next people, so pay it forward. So it's a pay, it pay, forward. pay it forward.
0: Exactly.
1: So there's a way on the website. So if you go to the dollar4.org, it's a beautiful orange. I'm logging onto it right now so I can tell you exactly. Donate is in the top right. And there's a way for you to donate for a monthly reoccurring. And I hate to use the like, oh, how much do you spend at Starbucks a month? But come on. So during my telethon, We're all making calls like, hey, what can you donate monthly? Can you do 10 bucks? And as soon as somebody like first call, I get a call. I'm like ready to dial out. I get a call. It's Charlie Meyer, my employee saying to me, hey, are you going to do 50 bucks a month? And I was like, yes, I will. I cannot believe you called me. (laughs) And so it comes right out and it feels great every single month. There it There it is. Donate top right, right there.
0: That's it. So right here, donate. This is Dollar Four. Um, if you're not familiar with them, please familiarize yourself with them. It's dollar4.org. Uh, incredible, incredible uh, uh, charity. And um, every Jared-
1: $1 turns into 50 You don't see ROI like that on any.
0: It's unbelievable. Okay. So, Jared Walker, congratulations, buddy. Keep crushing it, keep doing the great things that you're doing. And uh, I can't wait to have him on the show here soon. So really, really excited. All right. So any other charities near and dear to your heart, Jean Marie?
1: Thank you so much. Uh, Quest was the first board I ever got on. So as a 20, 21-year-old, I joined the board of Quest. It's for people with um, mental disabilities, mental and physical disabilities in Orlando and uh, Tampa. I like that question a lot. It's become a partner. We will follow up. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I have always looked at um, nonprofits that I feel are doing real stuff. I don't love the big national ones where I can't understand where the money really goes. And this is exactly how I treat the healthcare problem that is, right? right? So I would sit on these boards for these large ones and I would say, where does this money go? I can't go ask for money if, you know, I don't know where it goes. So <laughs> maybe, yeah, the chuckle, maybe there's three C's that I could think of. I think that the, the chuckleheads deserve a shout out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, and I'll tell you, this is something that, um, and, and I love that you were talking about um, mental health, um, suicide prevention, um, awareness to mental health is so critical. Um, a lot of folks, don't know this. Um, but you know, my brother, um, my best friend, uh, my mentor, uh, it was seven years older than me in 2003, he took his life. Um, and you know, he was a victim of mental illness and for years it went undiagnosed. Um, it was stigmatized. It was stereotyped. Um, you know, the thought of somebody having to be on, you know, Prozac and Respiril and other medications and the the things that it could do for them. So um, I have, um, since, you know, the loss of my brother, I have advocated for suicide prevention. I've advocated for the mental health community. I am actually the chief compliance officer for the largest behavioral health and neurosciences uh, conglomerate in the northeastern part of the United States, um, you know, who's expanding internationally their services. And for me, you know, hearing you talk about mental health and and the need to bring more awareness to it, um, it, it warms my heart because there's not enough talk about it. Not to say that it's any more important than heart disease and stroke and you know autism and Alzheimers and Parkinson's it's equally as important but I don't know that it gets as much airtime as it needs to because You
1: absolutely right.
0: You know, and especially in in you know foreign nations um where you know talking about it is just completely frowned upon and and in some places it's actually punished. So um any other any other charities let me ask you this what is the one thing our viewers, our listeners, can take away from today's podcast that I did not ask about the most interesting woman in healthcare? Anytime <laughs> you know, we <laughs> any...
1: call up Karen Weintraub right now and ask her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> any any time I mention you in the future, it's always going to have a hashtag next to it: most interesting woman in healthcare. Um give give our well, listeners. I'll tell you what, Sean. Thing, I don't
1: always podcast, but when I do, it's with the components guys. <laughs> I would just I say it. that I you know, thank you very, very much for everything you had to say today. I've been so fortunate. I've been so blessed in this world to have great people around me, great family, great friends who've always been supportive of whatever it is that I'm doing. And doing healthcare the way that I do healthcare, I do thank my friends and family for being around me with that because I think everyone should find something that they really love to do and then it's never worked. So I, I think that I've been fortunate enough to find that thing for me. And I hope that other people find it for them too.
0: It wouldn't be a finale without the not famous, the infamous Eric Rubenstein. Um I love it. I love it, buddy. Absolutely fantastic. All right. So, as much as I hate to do this, this brings us to the end of our hour together for the podcast. I I sincerely hope that people listen to your message engage in taking steps to make a difference in healthcare that are here, now, and for the future. I hope folks check out Dollar Four and Jared Walker's incredible charity and the amazing work that they're doing. I hope people get to know more about who Jean Marie Laurie is, what she stands for, and how she's just disrupting the healthcare space. Um, you know, while this is the Compliance Guy Show, and, 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 and I love talking about, you know, healthcare compliance and regulatory compliance, fraud, waste and abuse, anti-kickback statutes, you know, every once in a while, I love to be able to break away from that and have a real interview. Um, with a healthcare uh, influencer, with a leader like Jean Marie, and to be able to pick her brain, to be able to get inside uh, and and take a look around and explore with her as to what it is that drives her, and I hope for all the young men and women, and even for those who are established in healthcare for years, but you're looking at it as a job and not a career. I hope you look at this podcast today. I hope you listen to the words that have been spoken and the conversations that we've been able to engage in for the last hour. And I hope it gives you some motivation. And I hope you don't stumble in moving forward because there's a fear of failure. We all fail. It's just a matter of failing and not allowing it to disrupt our emotions or to take away the great things that we're striving for so once again this is the compliance guy podcast brought to you by doctors management my name is sean weiss and on behalf of Jean marie Lauria, my extremely special guest today and a special shout out to all of our incredible guests who were participating in the chat today Thank you so much for taking time out of what I know is an extremely busy day. Thank you for tuning in on a Friday when you could be doing so many other things. And remember, be good to yourself, but more importantly, be good to each other. And until next time, I'm going to try to continue to do better. Take care.